You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and I'm joined this week by Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Hello, Christian. Doing well. Um, I wish I had something exciting to report, but I don't know if I do. So, uh, oh. a general a, a general June greeting for you. Yeah, it's June, isn't it? I um, I mean, I, just before we started recording, I uh, started having a sneezing fit, and I reminded Ben it's a summer evening in May. Of course, I'm sneezing. Of course, it's now June. It's the fifth of June. Where's the year going? I spent hey, the fever week- doesn't doesn't immediately stop when June hits. That would be nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so we are here with the latest techniques for technophobes, and we've got some tips and tricks, which, well, that's the usual pattern. Well, this week we have the news, and then we've got a look at various scams that are in operation that you need to be aware of so that you can avoid them. Before we do that, though, let's just take a look at the most recent tech news. Amazon has been forced to pay $25 million over child privacy violations. That's quite a bit, isn't it? This is to settle allegations that it violated children's privacy rights with the Alexa voice assistant. It's agreed to pay the U.S. Federal Trade Commission after it was accused of failing to delete Alexa recordings at the request of parents. It will also pay out through its uh, camera unit ring after giving employees unrestricted access to customers' data. That will amount to $5.8 million according to a filing in a federal court in D.C. This is avoidable, isn't it? This, people have been saying for years, this, you know, you need to get a handle on this. You need to be more transparent about what's going on with this. Yeah, it is kind of odd reading the story here that it says, I actually wasn't aware of this because um, I don't have kids, so I wouldn't have known this, but it says that Amazon promised that parents well you can delete voice recordings in general not just of your kids which i know that um but apparently it promised it's made certain promises to parents about deleting things that their kids had said to alexa i mean we've talked before i think uh you and i about the ways that the the privacy laws in the u.s around kids have affected like youtube now where when you every time you upload a youtube video you have to say this was made for kids or it wasn't made for kids and if it was marked as made for kids there's all kinds of restrictions on it yeah even if it's not you know, made for kids, even if adults would find it enjoyable or something. It's like there's all those restrictions. So I, I, it's kind of a sticky situation, I guess, where obviously the Echo itself doesn't know if it's recording a child or an adult um, unless, unless voice analysis tech has gotten that good. So, yeah, I mean, I think just having a clear option for deletion is really the only way. But, yeah, it's I'm not surprised to see this, but it's surprising that they wouldn't have made this easier to do, I guess, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening with that. Now, the fact that this has happened, obviously, um, raises the potential for it to happen in other places as well, such as in the UK and in Europe and in Australia. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops over time. Now, the other thing that we need to talk about is pretty much, it's, it's actually a breaking news story. So uh, at the time of recording this on Monday, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission has accused Binance, the crypto trading giant, of engaging in a web of deception. So to explain exactly what's going on with Binance, I decided to give Gavin a quick call and bring him into this week's podcast. Hello, Gavin. Hey, Christian. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, It looks to me like Binance is in a bit of trouble. But what's the real impact here? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Christian. Binance are in uh, a bit of trouble. I'd say maybe even more than a bit of trouble. I would say they're in hot water. We'll right. go as far as to say that. Okay. Um, the SEC have uh, basically filed 13 charges against them, That the crux of which is that Binance owner and CEO Chang Peng Zhao has been basically mishandling funds behind the scenes. Now, Binance operates two different entities. There's the Binance that most of the world uses, and there's a separate version of Binance for US investors so that they can adhere to the rules and stipulations that the SEC and the US government lays down. And that's all fine. They created the second company so that they could, you know, get involved with the massive US crypto market. The problem with it is, is that the allegations say that they have been basically transferring and moving funds around between the regular version of Binance and the US-based affiliate, which is called BAM Trading Services. Nice. Um, it's also alleging that they are, uh, they've allowed unregistered broker deals to take place on the US platform and between the other platforms. They've misrepresented trading controls on the US platform and they've allowed the unregistered sale of securities on the US platform, all of which are like highly, highly illegal and also was one of the main things that creating the secondary platform was meant to protect against because some of those things that i've just mentioned uh, are legal in other countries where uh, well maybe not entirely legal but they're you know you can get around them in other countries um whereas that you know the sec is far more on it in the us part of the problem with it is as well is that there's a I'm going to keep saying allegedly a lot, <laughs> mm. but there's allegedly a secret access to a bank account owned by another firm affiliated to Chang Peng Zhao and uh, people who worked at Binance US were sort of aware of transfers between this firm um, and the US version of Binance, um, which is obviously cause for concern if funds are disappearing into, uh, you know, what is basically a shady account that nobody has control of, although they should be company funds. The long and the short of it for crypto, though, um, since this has happened, the markets have tumbled massively. Um, I think we've seen at least 10 to 15 percent wiped off of most cryptocurrencies, uh, including ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, a lot of these smaller altcoins have suffered even more when things like this happen. Those are the, the, the smaller cryptocurrencies are the ones that suffer the most because they don't have as much capacity to soak up such an outflowing of money as, as the big names. Mm -hmm. uh, and overall, it's just it's extremely damaging, not just to to the name of Binance, but to the whole of the crypto industry in general, that yet again, we find a massive set of allegations for a company that's meant to be leading the way in making crypto accessible to the world. And A, they've broken the trust of many, many people. But B, it makes them no better than all of the you know, things that crypto was meant to stand for to begin with, such as, you know, we are going to be decentralized. It's going to be better, safer, you know, it will be easier for people to use. And it's all lies, basically. It's baseless. It has no relevance to the regular person on the street, except for when this happens and they lose all their money. Is this another FTX? 
I don't think it's going to be as bad as FTX. FTX was a whole different thing. Mm. But, I mean, that said, it could go that way if Changpeng Zhao, the Binance CEO, um, is you know, taken into custody or suffers any more serious allegations. It depends just how far it goes, really. Gavin Phillips, thank you very much. <laughs> So, we're moving on to the main part of this week's show, which is a discussion on scams, as you'll gather from the title. Um, I've got to say, we, um, we we talked about this a few weeks ago, and then uh, Ben, following an article that Ben had published, and then uh, we were discussing ideas for this week's podcast. We're like, well, let's look at scams. And again, this phrase comes up, pig butchering. Pig butchering. Have we it's, talked about the meaning behind it? I'm. I'm. It's no. Kind of it's, no. It just all seems so wrong. It does. It sounds weird. Um. It's definitely not a uh, vegetarian. Although I did just scam, eat I bacon, suppose. so maybe. Oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> That's why it double sounds so standards. Wrong. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about. We can talk about the kind of the general idea behind it, and then I can um, cover a few details about my recent experience with one of these lovely people. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically to cover, to cover the overview part first, it's not really as, as confusing as it seems. Essentially, pig butchering is the name of a scam where the intent is on, quote, fattening up the victim before the, quote, slaughter. Um, so whereas with most scams um, that we talk about, some of the ones we'll talk about later, it's a very quick type of thing. You know, you get a call telling you you have to take action now. That type of scam is very... Uh, intent on making you think, act without thinking so that you send money to a scammer before you realize what happened. This type of scam, on the other hand, it, um, there's a romance element to it. And so it's about days, weeks, months even of a scammer talking to a potential victim, trying to befriend them, quotes around that, and then have them finally get into the scam and then send them a bunch of money. So um, this type of scam, from what I have read, originated in China, and it was actually used in China, like on Chinese people. And then when it kind of got so widespread there to the point where people kind of knew not to fall for it um it, they started people in china started attacking uh people elsewhere in the world uh, with this type of scam so um pig butchering comes from a, a translation of a chinese phrase that was used to describe these scams uh, in that country okay still sounds gross it does yeah you think i like the yeah I so this is all about me describing it this is all about fooling someone isn't it basically that's right. So um, there's also there's often a romantic element too. So the way that this scam typically happens, um, at least in the US, I, I have had this for and this has been going on for over a year, I've been wanting to write about this for a while. And it took me a while to actually get a scammer on the line, so to speak, long enough where they weren't stopping um, to talk to me. They weren't sorry long enough to where they weren't stopping talking to me after a few messages. So generally, the way this works in the US is that you get a you get a text from someone and it's like, Hi, Mark, this is Susan. Do you remember me or something like that? And then you're supposed to say this isn't Mark. And then they say, Oh, I'm sorry, my assistant must have made a mistake. Uh, this is Susan, I'm blah, blah, blah. And then if you keep talking to them, they send a picture, it's always a young Asian woman. And then they say, Hey, uh, we, let's be friends. This is my work number. I'll, I'll message you on WhatsApp on my actual number. And then they ask if you have WhatsApp, they give you a different number and you talk to them there. Um, that's generally how it starts. So I've been contacted by these scammers many times, both uh, on WhatsApp itself and through just texting, which is still used here in the US. I know it's not the same elsewhere. Um, so I've been playing along with them, trying to get one of them to talk to me for long enough so I could document the scam and write about it, which I did end up doing and published an article last month. Um, 
So I won't go through the whole thing, obviously, it's quite a bit, um, but I do have screenshots of a lot of the conversation. And effectively, um, once you move to WhatsApp, um, the scammer tries to establish a rapport with you. Um, they might tell you that they're, they don't have many friends. Usually they tell you that they are from Singapore or uh, a different country in Asia. And then they'll say they moved to LA, Dallas, New York, whatever, big US city. They don't have a lot of friends. They wanna get to know you, become friends. And then they'll just text you, message you and say, how's your day going? What'd you have for breakfast? That kind of stuff. If you volunteer a lot of information to them, like you tell them, a lot of lonely people are targeted by this scam. And so they'll share mm -hmm. things like, you know, I've, I don't have a girlfriend or my mom has cancer or whatever. And then the scammer will make up stuff like, oh, I'm also single or oh, I have a loved one that just died or whatever to kind of share uh, a bond with you, if you will. And then over time, they'll start to slip in little bits about how the fact that their uncle or their father or whoever um, knows a lot about crypto and that they've invested and they make all this money and they'll send you pictures of that. They always said they own a business in their home country and they'll tell you that they're buying gifts for their friends and they'll send you pictures of lavish purses and things like that. Um, they'll send screenshots of uh, withdrawals from apps, uh, from finance apps like Binance and say, look all this money I'm making, that kind of thing. And they try to lead you to the point where they want to give you advice for investing. Yeah. And the way this typically works is um, they want you to buy crypto with a real exchange like Coinbase, um, buy some crypto, usually one that has like a direct one-to-one -one, um, correlation with the US dollar. And then they tell you to download an app or, or visit a website that's phony. They might have the name of a real service, but they're sending you just a fake website. Um, and that website is all controlled by them. It's, it's totally fake. And they'll tell you to invest in their platform. But what you're really doing is just sending them money. You're sending it to their wallet, so there's no investment. And then on the website, they manipulate graphs and charts to make it look like you're earning money on your investment, quote unquote. Mm. And they encourage you to invest more and more, even to the point where, because this is the part of the pig butchering, right? Is once you've invested, they're not happy with you just investing $500, quote unquote. They want you to keep in investing, that's always in quotes, more and more money. So I've seen stories of people, they'll tell the person, hey, you should borrow money from your friends, you should take out a loan, all this stuff. People end up sending them tens of thousands of dollars in some cases. And then eventually, if you say, I want my, my to take my money out, they'll tell you that there's a bunch of fees you have to pay, which you can't pay with the money already in it, you have to invest more money. And then when you want to take all the money out, usually they'll tell you that um, after the fees, quote unquote, are paid, then they, they usually just tell you that you've been ripped off, or it might even go further. They might have a, a lawyer, quote unquote, might contact you and tell you that he can help you get the money back from the scam, but he's actually someone working with them, you know, wants you to send him money to help, quote unquote, when you're just sending him money to uh, to, to another scammer. So it's really a mess. Um, the bottom line of the whole story is, if you know anyone you think might fall for this type of thing, just make it clear to them. If you ever get one of those wrong number texts, it's a, it's the start of a scam. They're trying to set you up for a relationship, quote unquote. Um, this is what they're gonna do. So if you'd be interested, the linked article that I wrote has a lot of uh, specific examples. I documented a lot of my conversation with this person. So you can see the kind of tactics they use, um, yeah. how they push you into in investing, quote unquote, and all that. But it's really nasty. It makes me upset. And uh, the best way to protect against these scams is just making people aware of them. So that's what we're doing here. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's not a surprise the amount of effort they put into it because no doubt, I mean, it's min, it's minimum effort really, isn't it, on their part? It's just typing a bit, and then once you're hooked in, that's where the real, no doubt, largely pre-prepared effort um, 
These right, applies. and that's what I talked about in the article is that gen- probably the person doing the initial hey is this so and so. That's probably a script, and then once they move yeah. you to WhatsApp, you're probably talking to like a better. But I mean, the the thing that we you have to remember too, and we've talked about this in the past, I think, with like the um you know the faraway print scammers and all that kind of thing. You might have an image in your head that oh these are just you know poor people who are trying to scrounge together a few dollars and they don't have anything. To, that's not the case. These this is like organized oh, crime, isn't basically. It? Right. When you see on on Reddit, I linked to one in the article. There's hundreds of more examples of like training manuals that these people have. Like it's all these instructions on how to emotionally manipulate people, what profile picture to choose, what to tell them that you do, how to find out if they're probably going to. Um, fall for this because they work in a certain field and they have a lot of money, whatever, how to fake a relationship. Like there's, they're writing so much of this out as instructions for people. So this is very organized and intentional. This isn't like one or two people that are just trying to make a few dollars from, you know, pickpocketing or whatever, that kind of thing. I mean, it's absolutely organized crime, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We don't think of it that way because we think of that as like the mob, you know, knocking on people's doors, but it's the same thing. It's a large group of people running a scam at a large scale. It um, takes, I mean, whenever we have these conversations, and I've, I've no doubt I've spoken about this on the podcast before, it takes me back to my, my first introduction to online scams. Hope, hopefully, to date, so far, my last experience with an online scam, uh, where we uh, were uh, fooled into um, selling something on eBay, outside of eBay, doing the money exchange outside of eBay, and of course, never mm. saw the money, never saw the goods again. And... Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's going back 20, well, we were, Kerry and I were, uh, that's my wife, we were uh, engaged, we were saving up for a wedding, so we're talking sort of 2004 sort of time, so it's a long time ago, and that is one of the key things about the internet as well, is that scammers sort of hooked onto the internet very early on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, whenever there's a new industry or a new website or whatever, you're always going to find people that, like you said, immediately jump on it and find a new way to rip people off. I remember having the same experience. I was trying to sell something on eBay probably 10 years ago, and it was my first time. Um, and it, I, like everything I got was always, I'm going to buy this from you, but you need to ship it to my son who's deployed in Afghanistan, you know, that kind of stuff, <laughs> like one of those classic scams. That's just yeah, like, I'm going to do that. So yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating. Like it, it puts, I mean, I, I've been put off of selling things secondhand like that, not just for that reason, but I mean, it's, it stinks, you know, it's not, you, you don't, you, you don't, you can't say I'm going to go to this site and get a fair exchange and sell this to a real person. You have to just be aware that you're probably going to have to deal with uh, scams. And, and one of the next yeah. ones we, we have up to talk about too, I've been getting emails. I, this particular one, I've been getting emails for like a week now. I've never gotten this before. And now all of a sudden I'm getting all of these. And I think like, I know better, but I mean, for people that aren't aware, like it's probably it's scary, you know, to see a bill in your email that you didn't pay for and you get all worked up about it. Like I can understand why people get frustrated with it. Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, just two days ago, I received a bill, a legitimate bill, um paypal subscription so paid it out um to some security software that i unsubscribed from several months ago and i have the email confirming that i unsubscribed from it and you still got an, an actual got charge yeah fake? so I've, I've raised an issue with them um mm. I've, I've raised a complaint with it over it because because it does happen and i guess i mean i mean things happen and these things do happen but you would think with computerized systems, such things wouldn't happen. But it, can, it sort of opens the gateways for scammers to then take advantage of those scenarios, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and the thing we've talked about this a couple of years ago. I think you and I in our Slack. Um, I think it was Microsoft Outlook, like Microsoft account emails. The way it was, it was something in the wording or like the the send from address or something where it like it looked like a scam. Yeah, it it wasn't, but like the way that it prompted you to like click here to do whatever, like you'd be forgiven for not knowing which one was real and which one was a scam. Like the way they phrased it, it's, it's companies could definitely do more to, to not have their own emails look potentially like they're fake basically is what I mean. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should mention uh, Microsoft though, actually, because I had a conversation with uh, Mike, with my son about Microsoft earlier, because uh, he, he was choosing between using Microsoft Edge and Firefox. And I said, use Firefox. It's not by Microsoft. And he said, what's wrong with Microsoft? I said, oh my God, if only you knew what was wrong with Microsoft. <laughs> Um, so I put it in terms that you would understand that episode of The Simpsons where Homer starts an online business. Um, I have not watched that. It's a very old one. He basically sets okay. up uh, an internet business. Um, but basically all he's got is a computer and some desk uh, ornament of some sort. And no one, he's, he's making phone calls and stuff, but that's about it. Although he's probably ringing most tavern. It's long time since I've seen it. But basically what happens, um, Bill Gates comes in with some heavies and buys him out <laughs> in the style okay. of trashing the place. <laughs> and okay. almost like thinking, oh, I'm going to make some money at last. They're buying me out. <laughs> but because they don't know what he does, they can't work out what he's doing. They just trash the place. Um, and, you know, it's um, obviously it didn't happen like that, we don't think. Uh, but it's a figurative uh, interpretation of what really did happen, which is all these aggressive um, buyout tactics that Microsoft right. uh, was uh, into in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, buying out businesses, um, taking their intellectual property and laying people off. Big business like Microsoft, unethical, immoral. You know, it's no wonder people go online to commit crimes thinking they can get away with it when the biggest companies in the world were more or less doing the same thing. That's a good point. There's a thin line between illegal crime and legal th things that are legal, but probably shouldn't be. Okay. So um, invoice scams, what's this all about? Yeah. So invoice scams, I've been getting these two, one of those ones I didn't really get, but now I am. So this type of scam you might've seen where you'll get usually a pretty poorly worded email. I would check one of mine, but I've reported them all as phishing. So I don't think I can pull one up. Um, actually, I just sent one to my family to warn them about it. Let me see. Um, yeah, so I got an email that says your auto extend dictate e statement for June 5th has been mailed to you. And then it has with respect to my email, and it has random numbers that are the serial number or whatever. Um, it's really just gibberish, to be honest, but the um, bill that it includes often is a legitimate PayPal invoice. So if you weren't aware of this, um, you anyone can use PayPal for free to create an invoice. So I could create an invoice for Christian just to say, you owe me $500 for me being on the podcast or whatever. And then it would go, it, if I put his email in, it would go to him and it would be a legitimate invoice to PayPal. Now, of course, he doesn't have to pay it. It's just, I've used PayPal service to send him an invoice. So what this scam is, is that people go in and they say, they create a $500 invoice for Bitcoin payment or some generic like Bitcoin exchange, crypto exchange, whatever, email it to you and one version, one way out of the scam is if you click pay invoice and pay it, obviously, you know, you're going to waste money because you're sending money for something you never bought. But there's also a note, uh, a field for a note in that PayPal document. And it'll say something like, you've successfully made a transaction for your Bitcoin using PayPal, you charge this amount. Uh, if there's a problem, please call us at blah, blah, blah. 
And then if you call that number, you're calling a scam number that's going to walk you through reversing the charge by giving them your bank info or putting uh, screen control software on your computer or whatever. Um, So yeah, this type of scam is just, it's the same kind of thing we were talking about earlier. It is banking on the fact that you'll think, oh, I didn't pay for that. And then either just pay it because you're not thinking or call them and then fall for that part of the scam. So um, always think about if you actually bought something, if you're getting an invoice for Bitcoin, you've never bought crypto, it's fake. Um, If you actually have bought something lately, verify the price, go directly to that website and check to see what you paid for it. If there's any kind of dispute, never call a number that's given to you in an email like that, because it's, they can put, anyone can put anything in that field. Yeah, and of course, you're then going to be uh, persuaded to hand over some personal information, and you don't know who you're speaking to. Right. They don't really care. I mean, if you pay them $500 for nothing, they get money. Um, if you're a little bit more uh, curious and call the number, they're still going to get a payout if you follow through and you know give them your bank email or whatever. So again, this is another one of those features like we've been talking about. It's a legitimate feature to make an invoice in PayPal. It's not, it's, it's, it's a fake invoice in the sense that you didn't buy anything, but it actually is an email from PayPal. So it looks legitimate. I think we talked a while ago, Christian, about like the Google calendar and Google drive spam. That was a thing for a while where spammers would make a new Google docs item like a document, and then they would just create comments and tag random email addresses and just have links to scam websites or whatever. Um, And so you get an email notification that so-and-so tagged you in their document, and it was just a way for them to spam people. Google's fixed that since, thankfully. But like you were saying, they take everything that's that's useful and just turn it into a scam. It's depressing. Well, a vigilance pays, I think, in uh, all of these uh, scenarios, as long as you can understand the threat. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on out there, threats and uh, scams that you need to be aware of. There's gift card scams, there's impersonation scams where people impersonate you on social media and, you know, make friends with friends, relatives, whatever, maybe attempt to uh, get some more of your personal information that way. And then Bob's your uncle, there's a full-blown identity theft crisis taking place and uh, you're the victim. Yep. I think that's the main use of that one is, you know, you make a fake account and you message that person's friends and say, Hey, I had to make a second account because I lost my password or whatever. Can you, I, I, and then, and then you say, Hey, I need help. I'm, you know, I got arrested and I need a thousand dollars for the lawyer or whatever, you know, some made up scenario like that. And then they're hoping that you'll think it's your, actually your friend and send them the money um, instead of doing anything else, like calling them on a number that you know is good and asking if it's the case, and obviously they'll say, what are you talking about? And then you'll realize that it's, it's fake. Yeah, absolutely. My dad um, has two Facebook accounts. And uh, so, I mean, it does happen. They are both genuinely him. He lost the password for one of them, so created another one, and then found a way of um, probably just by going through the usual instructions. Um <laughs> Unlocked his old account, so he now has two Facebook accounts. So basically we have... We have like a family group chat, so he's in there twice. Everything that we post on Facebook, we have to add him twice, both versions of him. You never know which one he's going to check. Exactly. Yeah, so I have a few I, friends I, I like that I refer to too. him as the Dave Corley twins. <laughs> Dave and Dave. Yeah. Well, he should have one that's like David and one that's Dave, so it's it would easier help, to but, uh, know which yeah. one's which. Yeah. yeah, I have friends like that too, a few people who, for whatever reason, I think some people have made one because they were like, they had someone... 
uh, stalking them might be strong, but you know what I mean? Like they yeah. didn't want keeping track of them or whatever. So they made a sure. second account. And that's the thing you never know when you get that second, uh, just because of the way my mind thinks because of all this stuff. When I see an, a friend request from somebody I'm already friends with, I immediately assume it's a scam. But if they tell me that it was for a different reason, okay. But still don't like having multiple copies of a friend. Absolutely. Yeah. One's enough. <laughs> We've reached that part of the show where uh, we share something with you, something that we've enjoyed or reviewed or anything. It's in the recommendations section, basically, where uh, myself and my co-host this week, Ben Stegner, uh, will share what it is. And uh, may- hopefully, I mean, there's maybe some kind of persuasionary aspect. There's maybe the persuade each other to um, check out what we're talking about. It doesn't happen all that often, but it does happen occasionally. Uh, ben, shall I go first this week? Yeah, you go first. I feel like I've been talking uh, talking everybody's ear off here. Okay. So, uh, long-running listeners of Release of Podcast may know that I'm a bit of a fan of retro gaming. I have, over the years, reviewed a couple of devices from uh, Blaze Entertainment, the Evercade BS, or Versus, and the Evercade EXP most recently. Can we hear that? A little bit of audio coming there. Uh, now, I'm also, a, I'm become a, I'm a retro gaming fan. Um, my heart is with two particular devices in particular, the Commodore 64 and the Amiga. I still own an Amiga 1200. My first Amiga was an Amiga 500. And one of the main developers from that era, still around today, Team 17. And just last week, they released a collection of 10 Team 17 games that were released on the Amiga 500 and Amiga 1200 and Amiga CD32 on Evercade. So, uh, obviously, I'm a little bit excited about this. Um, <laughs> and so, we have a collection of games. There's Full Contact, there's Alien Breed Special Edition, Body Blows, Project X Special Edition, Quack, Arcade Pool, Alien Breed Tower Assault, Alien Breed 2, The Horror Continues, ATR All-Terrain Racing, and Kingpin Arcade Sports Series Bowling. These are, I think it's fair to say, all classics. Some of these I spent uh, far too long on back in the day, although some of them I never played or even heard of. I wasn't even aware of the two fighting games, Body Blows and uh, Full Contact. So I checked them out earlier on today. One game that I've spent a lot of time on over the years and uh, in a uh, really useful podcast first, I'm going to play it now, is Ooh, uh, Project X, which, uh, as you'll notice, has amazing music. It's not my cup. It's not the sort of music I would listen to to chill out, you know, but it's really good music that suits you. game. to go. Yeah, totally. And it's basically it's a left-to-right scrolling shooter. And it's got some. Uh, it's got voice in it as well. It's got lovely graphics. It's 16-bit, but uh, there's a bit more to the graphical situation with the Amiga than the standard 16-bit. So, uh, so the, the level will start. Listen out for the voices as well. So basically, as I'm uh, using the auto fire there, basically. As okay, explains, I hear that all the timey voice yeah. here. And then you get these power-ups, and then you apply them, and you upgrade your weaponry, or it affects your speed. There we go, see? And, uh, yeah, it's just a great game. Such a good I mean, this is worth the £17 alone, basically. Uh, but, of course, it's nine other games in there, including the Alien Breed. The interesting thing about Alien Breed is that uh, 
I was mad on the uh, Alien and Aliens movies all those years ago. And uh, I had no idea that the Alien Breed series was uh, sort of uh, a sort of a, a take on that. And, you know, the, the, it's not called Alien or Aliens. They've called it Alien Breed because they obviously couldn't get a license or they weren't, they just want to do their own thing with it. So it's, it's all, you know, it's all uh, Marines, space Marines shooting aliens sort of a thing. I didn't know about these games until I got the A500 Mini, which is a mini Amiga system that came out a couple of years ago so to now have the opportunity to play those on the evercade as well uh is kind of cool so as you can tell i'm really made up with this cartridge collection yeah that's super cool i'm i actually didn't i've heard of team 17 mainly through them publishing like indie games in the last couple of years i don't or like like i was calling like a second like a double a developer a double a publisher like not super tiny indie games but not massive triple a games yeah i didn't know they'd been around for that long oh yeah yeah, years and years and years and years and years. So um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really chuffed with it. It's a good collection. It's I'm, I don't want to say it's one of the best collections of MK because I don't have all the collections. I've got about I've probably got about sixty percent of the cartridges. So I can't really say it's one. It's the best. It's certainly one of the most enjoyable ones I've got. So well, that is my recommendation. But yeah, they've got a, the whole uh, and of course they're um, they they were the first publishers behind Worms as well. Oh, okay. Yep, I know that series not super well, but I know, I know of it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So yeah. You're probably right. They probably are double A, but uh, they've been around a long time. Great collection. Great library of games. And I'm hoping there's. Uh, they call this the Team Seventeen Collection One. So hoping for many more of those. Yeah. You never know when they start with Collection One. They're leaving it open, but yeah, will we get another one? Who knows? So what have you got Ben? Yeah. So um. I was thinking about, I've been playing a lot of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which I think I mentioned at the start of last uh, month's show, which I was going to talk about that, but then I figured if you are into it, you're probably already playing it. And if you're not, um, I don't want to spoil the discovery of it. So <laughs> I decided on a board game for this week. It is called Concept. Um, it is actually a game that I first played with some fellow make use ofers um, when we were in uh, Las Vegas for CES in 2019. Joel, our former editor-in-chief, brought it uh, and we played it there and then that's how I heard about it. So it's a pretty cool board game. So the way the game works is there is a board with a bunch of icons on it. And these are pretty, the, the game gives you some ways you can interpret these icons, but they're pretty general. Like one might be a plate of food, one is a house. One is, but there's colors, there's like a smiley face, a sad face. So there's just kind of general concepts as the game's name implies. Yeah. And you take turns pulling a card and there are three levels of difficulty of words that you have to get your team to guess without saying anything, but only by putting colored uh, pieces on the board. So for a simple example that the back of the box has, say you get B, the animal. You, your main concept is a big question mark piece. So you can put that on animal, because it's an animal. And then you can support that with putting pieces on the colors yellow and black, since bees are yellow and black stripes. And then there's a card that can indicate small, like an arrow pointing down with a small block. And there's also a card for flying or transportation with a helicopter on it. So all of the concept pieces are pretty general. They don't mean just one thing. So it's up to you to choose how you communicate the item to your team. And they have to kind of interpret it. So they're allowed to talk out loud. They can say, like, it's blah, 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 and just kind of get to it. And as they talk, you can move pieces around, you know, kind of see if they're on the right track, move things over, that sort of thing. Uh -huh. So it's a fun game if, if everybody can see the board and you like kind of abstract things like that. What's crazy, though, is the difficulty of the options. So the, there's blue, red, and gray. 
So example card on the back of the box, the blue ones are movie theater, B and chocolate, all pretty simple. The red, the, mid, the medium ones are vampire, Romeo and Juliet, and the leading tower of Pisa. So a little bit more difficult. But the difficult ones are Eureka, Al Capone, and Nightmare. Like, like some of these, I think like Eureka, I, I have no clue how you would communicate that to people with just the pieces on the board. Although I guess, you know, if you're, if you're clever, I think if you played this game with the same people a lot and you like were really close friends with them and you kind of all fought the same way, there'd be a yeah. good game to like test how, how much on the same wavelength you are, but it's a fun game. And then you're just racing to be, you're not racing. You're trying to see who can uh, get the most right in a set amount of time or whatever. So yeah, it's a fun game. It's um, probably one you haven't heard of before, but it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty general. It's a fun one. I'm looking at the Amazon listing right now and it says minimum age recommendation is 120. I believe that's in months because obviously you don't have to be 120 years old to play it. The box says 10, 10 years and up. So yeah, it's a fun one. If it sounds like something you would enjoy, that's concept. And uh, with the right group, I think it's a good time. Wow. Yeah, that sounds good. I was playing a card game, which is a bit of a surprise. I think I may have mentioned it. Um, it was the Monty Python one a few weeks ago. So I'm, I'm kind of into uh, easy, easy to play games at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm more a fan of like social games, which I would consider this like a game where you have to like sit down and learn the rules and it's like very stringent. Everybody has to be paying attention. Those are kind of tricky because, yeah. you know, I mean, at least with the people that I play with, typically like someone's getting up to get a drink or they're starting a side conversation. And it's just if not everybody has played the game before, you spend all that time going over the rules and that kind of just cuts into your time. Course, so yeah. I do prefer like social games that take, you know, five, ten minutes to learn. And it's just like a fun game where you can chat around it and it's not super super um intense but i like card games too i bought a couple games recently because um i always like i always think the idea behind board games sounds fun and then i think well if i don't play it for a while who am i going to play it with they're pretty expensive so like what am i going to like am i going to play it enough to make the the cost worth it but i do like them for something different so just kind of tough to know which ones are worth playing so uh, we'll have a link for that in the show notes, along with everything else that we've discussed in this week's Really Useful Podcast. And we'll probably put a few extra bits in there as well. You have been listening to the Really Useful Podcast from makeuseof.com. This is the tech podcast for technophobes. My name is Christian Corley. His name is Ben Stegner. And uh, all the links that you need will be in the show notes. You can get in touch with us through Twitter. And if you're feeling particularly generous or if we've helped you out with one of our shows, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, share us to uh, anyone else you think can help. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye.